Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. But good morning, y'all, and good to see some faces haven't seen in a little while. Glad to have Jim and Gail here and Steve and Judy. And um, so for all of you who are here, though, we're so thankful uh, to have you. And we've been going through this series called The Good Life. And I've reiterated every Sunday that the point of why I called this series The Good Life is that there are so many people in our world who think of one thing when they think of what the good life looks like. And yet the Bible is constantly trying to define for us what it means to live well. And it looks pretty different than what our world would define as the good life. And we have these books in the Old Testament that scholars call together the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And each one of them is an important voice telling us what it looks like when you live like this, this is how you live well. This is how you live the good life. And we need each of their contributions. And for the past two weeks, we've been talking about Ecclesiastes. And there's a few bricks that I have laid in the first couple sermons that hopefully will be helpful for today's sermon. But the first thing I want to remind you all is that we have, this is the the first brick that I think that's really helpful to remind you all of, is that when we read Ecclesiastes, we have to remember that there are two voices, two people. There's the author who comes up and says, hello everyone, I want you to hear from the teacher. And then the, the author, the moderator, stands aside for a second while the teacher comes up and begins and ends with, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, and then talks and talks and talks to the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and then ends with meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, everything is vanity. Or as we talked about, the, probably the better translation would be this idea of not that life has no meaning, but that the meaning of life is like smoke or vapor. And every time you try and grab hold of it, every time you think, I've found happiness, you open up your hand and it's, you can't, it, it went away somehow. And so then I mentioned that Eventually, there comes a point where the teacher steps off the podium and the author and the moderator comes back to say, thank you all for listening to the teacher for the past 12 chapters. Now I would like to summarize. And that is what we're going to be looking at today. Here the author has come back and the author is going to draw some conclusions at the end of the teacher's words. And the thing I want to pose to you is that there's a good chance that the author actually disagrees a little bit with the, with the teacher. That the author maybe says, okay, I hear the teacher, but I think there's something I disagree with a little. So that's a little tease for you of why it's so important to see these as two different people because you're going to see that while the author sees the teacher as valuable, the author also has a place where the author kind of says, but I don't agree with this, and hold on to that, okay? So here's where the author comes back in, okay? Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 9, if you want to turn there. And as I said before, the verse 8, right before, is where the teacher has concluded his talk and says, hevel, hevel, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And now the author comes back. So let's begin reading with what the author says. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. So clearly, the author is saying, hey, we got to give this, we got to 
heed these words. These words are important and truthful, and we need these words. And then he says in verse 11, The words of the wise are like goads. They, they're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Okay, so, anybody know what a goad is? Uh, I didn't know what it was, but a goad is like the sharp end of a shepherd's staff, which most of us don't realize, I guess, that shepherd's staffs have a one end and then a sharp end, and it's when the sheep just won't go where they need to go, you got to prod them a little bit with the sharp end to get them to go. Now, I looked up cattle prods, and I don't know exactly what people to use cattle prods for, but I have a feeling a cattle prod, I, I think, is like something electric. It's got some currency running through it where it's like, all right, this cow will not go into the chute and I got to give it a little nudge. I need some people who have cows to tell me, is that, this is how it goes? Give them a little shock to get them to go in the right place, okay? What the author is saying is, guess what? The teacher is like that a little electric shock or that painful sharp end of a, of a shepherd's staff. We don't like it. It's painful and uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, sometimes the truth is something that you need to hear that hurts you but moves you towards a greater wisdom. So the first takeaway is that the truth of Ecclesiastes hurts, but it leads to greater wisdom. And I've tried, I, I don't want to get into some of the heavier analogies, but I can't tell you enough times how much there are people who live unwisely because they don't have people who love them enough to tell them the painful truth. I'm going to say that again. There are people who are living lesser than lives because they don't have someone who loves them enough to tell them the painful truth so that they can go towards a better life and better wisdom. One analogy I think of is whenever you have kids that are grown up and pampered their whole life that they are the best select baseball player that has ever walked the earth. Every time there's a they get striped, struck out, well, that umpire is just blind. It's not because you're bad at baseball. Or, oh, man, well, you, you should, why aren't you getting these D1 scholarships? You, you're incredible. And eventually, some loving person probably needs to say to that young individual, I love how hard you play. I'm so glad you have fun. You're not, you're not, you're not going to get a scholarship to play D1 baseball. Is that painful? Is that going to hurt that kid when they're an 18-year-old? Yeah. Is it maybe going to be good for them so that they can start to think, okay, I guess even though I've heard my whole life I'm God's gift to baseball, maybe it, it's not the coach's fault that I'm the second string. You know, does that make sense? Okay, is it, you're picking up what I'm saying? All right. There are other examples of, hey, this might hurt to hear you say, for me to say this to you, but you've got to start eating differently because your life is struggling because of what you're eating. That might be painful to hear, but it's something that is leading to a better place, a better wisdom. And this is what the teacher has been doing. All sorts of painful realities. Your life is a mist. Every one of us is going to die. Life can be totally random. You could be an amazing person and have terrible luck. You know, my mom does not like that word, but you could have terrible things happen. You could be a terrible person and all these good things seem to happen. And that wisdom, as painful as it is, is going to help you in this life. Okay, let's keep reading. Yeah, amen. See, I, I finally got some encouragement. I'm just kidding. Verse 12 of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 12. This is another point that the teacher wants us to know. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them, these teachings, 
of making many books there is no end and much study wearies the body like wait what what is he saying I think the point that he's saying is you can reflect on these Ecclesiastes existential questions all your life over and over and go crazy and don't do that you can go crazy dwelling on these deep thoughts of God why why is it that these things happen and these, why is it that I work my whole life at a job and then someday people are just going to forget about it. Why? And if you just dwell on those all the time, you can go crazy. So be careful. Find a time to reflect and find a time to say, okay, i got to stop thinking about this. I need to move on. This, I can't just let this drive me crazy all the time. Now let's keep reading. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The, some translators say that here is the conclusion of the matter is like doesn't even do a good enough job of showing just how much they're saying. Like, here's the point. Here's the point. The author saying everything that we've talked about. Here's the point. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So your next main point is that how cool is it that Proverbs and Ecclesiastes have sounded so different from each other? We did this whole six weeks on Proverbs, and now we've done th two and a half weeks on Ecclesiastes. And in many ways, they've sounded night and day. But what is the conclusion of Proverbs? Blessed is the one who fears the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Constantly in Proverbs, the message is honor, revere, worship, fear God. And those who have a fear of the Lord have a relationship with God and that that is where eternal life and the good life is, belongs and it begins and ends. It is the sustaining part of all of it is whether or not you are living with that as the, the driving force of your life. Ecclesiastes sounds completely different, but where does the author still come to the conclusion? We've looked at all this, all these difficult questions, all this stuff that feels meaningless, and yet what is still the outcome? The best thing that you can do with your life is to fear God and to keep His commandments at the end of the day. And I really like that. I really think that's cool that they're connected. And so one thing, oh wait, well, I had this highlighted. So there you go. I was talking about that. But here's the thing that is at the end of this sermon, and I'm, I'm going to say this hopefully as, as well as I can. This last verse of Ecclesiastes is easy, for some, is easy for us to just skip over. And I know, speaking for myself, I am someone who has a very difficult time. Maybe this makes me a bad Church of Christ preacher. I have a very difficult time talking about the word judgment. There are some Church of Christ preachers that love this subject. Not me. But that's because I think we as a church and as a uh, religion, uh, a belief, a people of belief, have done a pretty bad job of handling this word. And so I hope that you will bear with me as I do my best to bear witness to the word judgment. And if anything I say is off to you, come to Wednesday night class. If anything I say pokes a question where you're like, I don't know if that's how I feel about that, come to class. And I promise you, in a year from now, a month from now, I might hear myself say something that I might disagree with on this. But here is what I think is so important. We have grown up where the word judgment is something where all of us picture this apocalyptic, fearful, 
screaming and terror type scene. That's what we've been raised with. This, um, you know, there's a movie called Judgment Day about aliens coming and blowing up cities all over the, the world. And this is what we think of when we hear the word judgment. I want you to know that from Genesis through Revelation, the word judgment is always a thing that the people of God cannot wait for. Let me say that again. From Genesis through Revelation, if you are a part of the people of God, you cannot wait for the day of the Lord, the judgment day. Like, wait, Drew, that, that doesn't sound anything like what I've heard. The beginning and the origins of this word, the day of the Lord, began with the people in Egypt. And there came a day, and like I said, I've said this before, the most important moment in the people of Israel's life was the day that God delivered them from Egypt and rescued them out of there. And from then on, if you heard a Jewish person say, the day, they were referring to the day when God came and freed them from Egypt. And so over time, as the phrase, the day of the Lord developed, this day of judgment, the constant theme was, this is the day where God hears our cries. This is the day where God comes and rescues us and brings justice for us. Okay? You, you picking up what I'm putting down? Okay? So here's where I want to bring this back to Ecclesiastes. The point that the author is making is that God will make things right. And here's where I believe that the author and the teacher, for the first time, are kind of disagreeing with each other. Part of the teacher's message throughout the whole book has been, have you just ever noticed that there's just no point in any of this? He even kind of, there's parts where even the teacher says the phrase, fear God, but he even makes some points where he says, even the people who fear God, they just, it kind of seems like a total waste. He kind of says that in places. He has places where he says, have you ever noticed that people who do all the good, they, their life is exactly the same outcome as the people who do all the bad? And it's just like, it just really has no meaning. It has no purpose. And he's, he says that. Here is where I believe the author is saying, I know it may not look like it in your life. I know you may not be able to see it. But there will be a day when judgment will come and the things of this world that are broken and wrong will be made right. And Jesus Christ came and was the one that brought that about. Here's from Psalm uh, so for judgment, for God's judgment will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Psalm 96, 13 is an example of something where you see the people of God looking for judgment and they cannot wait. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for He comes, He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. For them it is a, I cannot wait for this day to come. When you look at the martyrs in Revelation who are saying, God, hear our cries. We are being persecuted. Our lives have been, we've been killed by this wrong. And they have hope in the judgment of God to come and make things right. And so here's where I believe it's so important for us. And, and, and let me, like I said, I'm trying to take this thing that really is scary and trying to make it not so scary. How many of you have ever spent your life and you have seen and heard about the fact that there are parts in the world where Children are sold into sex trafficking. Have you ever heard about that before? Judgment is coming someday where that will be made right. Have you ever heard about things where you see some of the brokenness in our world, the way people are mistreated, the way people have less opportunity to be able to live the life that they want to live? That will be made right someday. And whether we ever get to see that or not, and we spend our whole life being like, 
I don't know if I would want to be someone who would volunteer to end sex trafficking because it seems like it's never going to end. Is there ever going to be a day where people in power stop taking advantage of the powerless? It just feels meaningless. The author of Ecclesiastes says, no matter what you see, there will be a day where judgment will make that right. And what I want you to know is that this judgment is going to be made right in the same way that Christ has already began the making right. When Christ came and died on the cross, He saw the brokenness. He saw the, the Roman powers. He saw all these things. And the people of Israel who couldn't wait for the judgment to come, the reason they didn't recognize Jesus is because they thought it was going to mean He was going to come and just kill everybody. Because that's what they expected with judgment. That's what we expect with judgment. We think judgment day is going to be this day where it's like, man, you better watch out if you weren't on God's team because He is going to come and just wipe this out. And I can talk to you about that. If I, I can see places where that seems like that's what it's saying. But I also believe part of what Jesus showed us on the cross is he said, no, 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 I didn't come to wipe them all out. I came to go to the root cause of this. The root cause, which is that there is sin in the world. And how did Jesus decide to end that? He did come and he brought death. But he didn't bring death to the Romans. He took it on himself. He came to say, I am going to end the source of this problem. I am going to bring judgment. And the way he brought judgment was by taking death upon himself on the cross. And through his death, he freed us from that sin that was the thing that needed to be made right. And yes, we live in a world where things are not all the way made right. We know, Paul says over and over, we cannot wait for the day when God will bring his judgment to make things fully right. But Jesus, what he did on the cross, began what we can wait for, what we can hope for. And so let me tie this in, and then I'm going to be done. I believe that it's easy to read the book of Ecclesiastes and find some nuggets of truth, but at the end of the day, just have this place of, yeah, there really is not a lot of point in living especially good, because it doesn't seem to make much of a difference. And the teacher, or the author, comes in at the end, and he says... At the end of the day, the right thing to do is still to fear God and keep His commands. That is the best choice that you can make for how to live your life. Even if it doesn't seem like it pays off when you die. Because there will be a day when God will come through Christ and judge the earth. And those who have decided to give their life to Christ, those who have decided to have a relationship with Christ, will be counted among those who cannot wait for the day of judgment. Because that's the day where they will get to be as Revelation says, clothed in the blood of the Lamb. And we will get to be singing the rest of our lives, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. If any of you would like to know what it's like to live a life where you have this confidence and hope for the day when God makes things right, because you know that God has already made things right in your life, and He began that when you decided to get baptized and give your life to Him, if you'd like to have a conversation about that, I'd encourage you to come while we stand and sing this song.